My name is Almany Quigley, and I am in the happy position of knowing a good number of you already, having served at our embassy in London twice. I now work in the trade division in the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and um, one of the pieces of work that I've been engaged in over the last year since my return to Dublin has been working with a team across government to draw up our trade strategy. Now, in drawing up the strategy, we drew very much from the insights of the diaspora policy, and I was struck repeatedly by the unusual advantage that Ireland has in having taken the time to draw up a diaspora policy that recognises that unique and that important relationship that it exists between Ireland and its diaspora, and deliberately sets out to nurture that relationship and to develop it and to engage the diaspora. Now, in our panel today, which is called Evolving Global Irish Communities, Meeting Their Needs and Identifying Opportunities for Collaboration, I think we have an opportunity to look at the, the, the five um, main goals of the diaspora policy. So to support those who have left Ireland and need or want support, to connect in an inclusive way with those people around the world who are Irish or of Irish descent or have a tangible connection to Ireland and want to maintain that connection with Ireland and with each other. It should allow us to discuss that facilitation, the activity at national and international level to build on and develop international diaspora engagement and to recognise the wide variety of people who make up our diaspora, the important ongoing contribution that they've made individually and collectively in shaping our development and our identity. And then it's important also that our diaspora policy needs to evolve. It needs to meet changing needs in changing times. So I hope that this panel session will allow us to set the scene in a number of ways for the more focused workshop sessions that will be happening later today and on Friday, including on planning for the diaspora and on new diaspora needs. Time constraints aside, I also would like this to be a really interactive session. So we're going to have a lot of opportunities for inputs from the floor and, uh, and hopefully develop that conversation that Minister Flanagan and Minister McHugh set out. This is one of our key aims from our discussions here, to start that conversation and to move ourselves in, in the direction that we need to move. So our first speaker on the panel is Ted Smith. Now, Ted served as an Irish diplomat for 15 years, working in locations as far apart as Portugal, Geneva, the US and the UK. And his work in the department mainly focused on the then nascent Northern Ireland peace process. He was deeply involved in the New Ireland Forum, which forged the historic consensus which laid the groundwork for the Anglo-Irish Agreement and following that, the Good Friday Agreement, of course, in 1998. He was Chief Administrative Officer of the H.J. Hines Company from 2003 to 2009, and subsequently he was Executive Vice President for Corporate Affairs at McGraw-Hill Financial, whose brands include Standard & Poor's and other prominent um, financial brands until his retirement in 2015. He also has served on the boards of the Haynes Celestial Food Company, the Africa America Institute and the Ireland Funds. Since his retirement, and I take the, use that word very lightly, he has devoted all of his time and energy to the non-profit sector. And he now serves on the board of Glucksman Ireland House at New York University, Marlborough College, and he's chair of the Clinton Institute in University College Dublin. So I'd like to invite Ted to come up and uh, say a few words to us on the themes of the panel. Thank you. I've been invited to discuss the 
evolving needs of Irish Americans and how we might enhance engagement with that mighty force of 35 million people. So let's get the hard question out first. Is Irish American identity in crisis? This has been debated at conferences, analyzed in books and in the media. Lawrence McCaffrey posed the question in his seminal book, The Irish Diaspora in America, quote, has their trip from Irish Catholic urban neighborhoods to suburban melting pots been a journey to achievement and contentment or an excursion from someplace to no place, unquote. Not only is Irish America growing older, but the four traditional pillars of its community are no longer as salient. The Catholic Church, the Democratic Party, the labor movement, and Irish nationalism. This trend, combined with the fact that there will likely be no replacement generation from Ireland going forward, means that Irish-American identity will fade unless Ireland and Irish-America find new ways to create a two-way mutually beneficial relationship. Bottom line, folks, we have a problem, but it's also a huge opportunity, culturally, politically, and economically, as the minister said this morning. The first thing to do is to get better data on who these millions of people are who claim Irish heritage and what it is they value. I want to provide some answers based on research collected in a unique American nationwide survey, the Irish Diaspora Survey, conducted recently. It was conducted in February via a link to subscribers on the irishcentral.com website and generated a sample of 3,180 respondents after a few days. Neil O'Dowd, the visionary Irish media publisher in America, founded irishcentral.com, which now has 4.5 million unique visitors every month. We at Luxman Ireland House, NYU, partnered with Neil, with Amoric Research here from Dublin, and with Professor Liam Kennedy from UCD Clinton Institute, and designed the survey, which had 51 questions based on focusing on values and interests. Top-line results are as follows. 51% of respondents are third generation and beyond, an impressive result that shows the power of online surveys. 20% are not Irish at all, attracted to Ireland by our culture. The majority check Irish news sites once a day. 85% are interested in studying Irish history and literature if courses are available locally. 75% express huge desire for online distance learning courses on Irish topics. 82% want to make going to Ireland their priority. Now, asked to choose an exemplary Irish-American, the top choice was, anybody guess? President John F. Kennedy. Then another one of their own family members. Then Joe Biden, Cardinal Dolan of New York, Maureen O'Hara, Ronald Reagan, and Liam Neeson. (laughs) The three top issues they worry about impacting on Ireland are unemployment, financial strain, and Brexit, interestingly enough, with Northern Ireland now down to fourth place. The core of their Irish identity, history, music, literature, genealogy, no surprises there. Billy Lawless, you'll be glad to hear that 68% believe in immigration reform to help the undocumented Irish in the U.S., but 40% also want tougher immigration restrictions on immigrants to America. In last November's election, 47% voted for Hillary, 27% for Trump, 20% refused to say. We wonder if they're actually shy Trump voters. Also, I have to admit that the largest concentration of respondents turned out to be from three very blue, or as we say in America, democratic states, New York, Massachusetts, and California. 83% say they have a religion. Of these, 74% are Catholic, 18% Protestant, and 1% Jewish. 
Guinness is by far the best-known Irish brand, followed by Jemison and Waterford. 66% think Irish citizens abroad should have a vote in Irish presidential elections. Now, this was a very highly educated sample with 93% having a college education. 42% earn at least $80,000 a year and higher, much higher, I must say, than the American median household income, which is about $57,000 per annum. Now, these answers suggest a number of ways to foster the Irish-American identity in the 21st century, such as greater use of the Internet to drive engagement, investment in additional Irish and Irish-American study centers at American universities, including online distance learning, cheaper airfares, and a more enhanced engagement when people come to Ireland. This, unfortunately, Minister, will require a greater investment of resources by the Irish government and its consulates and agencies in Irish America, particularly in what Irish Ambassador Anne Anderson calls, quote, a meaningful set of next-generation projects through cultural and sporting links through educational and exchange visits to Ireland, unquote. Apart from Irish Central, 23% of respondents went to Facebook most often for news about Irish America, followed by irishtimes.com, well done, Kira, and then Google, and then RTE. It's worth noting that despite the concerns regarding a disconnect between Ireland and Irish America, the gap between Irish American and Ireland was wider, was wider due to the lack of daily news and information. Today, social media connects us all around the world in a very rapid way. Now, the data from this survey overwhelmingly indicate that culture is the medium through which a future authentic relationship will be sustained with Irish America. And I'd like to recognize those who have supported Irish studies and the arts up to now in America, great institutions in New York University, Notre Dame, Boston College. Uh, but where's the next generation of Loretta Luxman's, Brian Burns, Don Keogh going to come from to support even more of these? Well, the answer is the Irish Arts Centre in New York. Niall Connolly is with, us, uh, is with us today. He's a great example of a new cultural centre which will be modelled for other cultural centres around the world. Final question for all of you. How important is it for these folks to visit the homeland? The answer vary. 37% of the sample has visited Ireland five or more times. Tourism Ireland plays a major role in creating a transformational experience for Irish Americans who visit Ireland. 1.6 million visitors came from North America to Ireland in 2016. An estimated one-third were Irish American. So how can we make visiting Ireland even more meaningful for these visitors and others from other parts of the world to ensure their children want to come back regularly and engage in Irish cultural activities and studies in the countries they live in. Don Keogh suggests that every member of the Irish diaspora would be given a card stating something to the effect. I visited my homeland as a member of the Irish diaspora and once again fell in love with our homeland and our Irish heritage. Every time a person visited Ireland, a star could be added recording how many times they visited. Now an email could also be sent to them from the minister here, uh, thanking them for coming to Ireland. Wouldn't that be nice? It wouldn't be a hard thing to do because most people give their email uh, when, they're, when they're going to Ireland, uh, either to their travel agent or to, I think the passport obviously may have it as well, we need to check in on that. Um, in addition, we should build on the gathering, so well conceived by Tim O'Connor. We should build on the 2016 and Creative Ireland programs. Congratulations to John Kincannon's work on these. Economically, the increased investment by Tourism Ireland, by the IDA, and by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade is creating two-way benefits for Irish-American Ireland. The IDA added 25 new people. DFA opened new consulates in Austin and Atlanta, and the outcomes are obvious. 
more inward investment from the American South, growing Irish arts, sporting and cultural events, more tourism from these regions. Americans see Ireland as a friendly and supportive place to trade in Europe and connecting with a rich and intriguing Irish heritage enriches their lives. Politically, the Irish have never been as powerful, playing a major role at federal and state levels in both major parties. We now are an important swing vote in American elections. Finally, as a follow-up to this forum, I hope the embassy and consulates and Irish agencies in America will host workshops with Irish-American organizations to expand on and implement the ideas and proposals that emerge here. In closing, I want to thank the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Trade, the Minister for the Diaspora, for hosting this great forum. I also want to commend Niall Burgess, Anne Derwin, and the Dynamic Irish Abroad team. Thank you, and I look forward to our panel discussion. I'd like to thank Ted for those uh, data-rich insights. I'm not sure whether the Minister's inbox is going to be able to stand all those emails he's going to be sending, 1.6 million every year. Um, And today, for the second panellist, is Ant Hanlon. Now, Ant, I'd like to express express our special thanks to Ant for having agreed to step in at short notice to... uh, to join our panel. Ant is the Chief Executive of Leeds Irish Health and Homes and has been since 1996. Leeds Irish Health and Homes offers a range of support services to members of the Irish community and beyond in Leeds. It offers housing support for people with mental health needs, practical and emotional support for older Irish people, and it's developing a focus on Irish people experiencing memory loss and dementia. Ant was also the chair of an organisation called Volition Leeds, which is a network of over 90 members of the voluntary not-for-profit sector in Leeds that support mental health and well-being there. He also served as treasurer of the Federation of Irish Societies, which is now known as Irish in Britain, for nine years until 2008. So we look forward to Ant's insights on uh, the Irish community in the UK in the context of this panel. Ant. Thank you. Good morning. And... um, Thank you, Alma. God, you know a lot about me. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit frightening. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank, uh, thank Alma for offering uh, Leeds Irish Health and Homes and me the, the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Um, the brief is around evolving needs uh, in, in Britain. Uh, obviously, um, I wanted to talk from the perspective of my, my organisation and maybe my community in Leeds and then expand it to the, to the wider Irish community. Um, as uh, Minister Flanagan said this morning, um, this is a massive time of change for the Irish in Britain. Uh, it's a time of uncertainty and as people have often said, uh, the only certain thing at the moment is uncertainty. Um, we've talked about uh, the effect of Brexit uh, and the, the great unknown there. <clears throat> But that creates worries for Irish charities in Britain um, about um, uh, their future, their access to funding. Uh, But it also creates worries for the community uh, and especially vulnerable people in the community, uh, especially around um, whether they'll uh, be expected to leave uh, Britain um, or remain. The Emigrant Support Programme funding, which Leeds Irish Health and Homes have access to and for which we remain very grateful, is a much-needed foundation for organisations in Britain. It it allows them to have the the basis for um, 
trying to lever in other funds and I would make the plea um, that the, the emigrant support programme um, uh, you know, recognises that, uh, that role that they have with, it, with many of the Irish organisations in Britain and not to forget the massive debt that is owed to those people uh, for, for whom we serve in that they were the people that sent back remittances uh, throughout the generations and kept Ireland afloat uh, in many instances. Um, the profile of the Irish community, it's, a, it's an older community in Britain. Um, the, the standard uh, uh, profile of the community is, is like a, a tree uh, with the older people at the top and younger people uh, uh, very much up, uh, uh, at the bottom. Uh, for the Irish in Britain, it's an inverse community. There's more older people than there are uh, younger people and people coming through. And that obviously has an impact on the community itself and on their support needs. Uh, the profile is one of uh, many health inequalities, especially around uh, the Irish people's public health, uh, higher rates of cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, cardiovascular disease, dementia, things like that. Um, one of the difficulties is around getting uh, um, statutory organisations to do anything about that because the communities, it's 600,000 uh, and throughout Britain and it, it, it means that um, often you're dealing with uh, small numbers of people. However, there are often people in the most chronic need. I, I think it's important to, to raise at this point um, that for many Irish organisations and for many Irish communities, the worry is what would happen to those people if we weren't there as organisations? because uh, the worry is that those, those people wouldn't get support. Uh, there was a question to Minister McHugh this morning about the, the uh, emigrant support programme um, and um, you know, the, the impact of the funding that, uh, that it has on the community. Uh, and we were talking as a team yesterday, um, and one of my workers said to me, <clears throat> tell the story of a, of a woman who uh, had not been out of the house for two years um, and uh, the worker had, had worked with her, um, now engaged her in an art class, she goes to a, a lunch group and she's starting to do some volunteering uh, and she actually said uh, Leeds Irish Health and Homes has saved my life and I thought what greater impact can there be of some funding than to save somebody's life so the emerging needs as, as I see them and, and uh, I, I think um, uh, from talking to and knowing other Irish organisations throughout Britain um, I, I see many commonalities. As Alma mentioned uh, we've started a, a dementia service recently to provide support, culturally sensitive support to Irish people with dementia. Dementia is a big, uh, it's a big and a growing need within the Irish community. It's a growing need for the, for the um, communities uh, throughout Britain anyway, uh, but specifically for the Irish community, having uh, that culturally sensitive approach when people are in need. Social isolation, uh, often as the, the older generation, um, they tend to be uh, um, uh, more likely to be single, uh, maybe living in, in um, circumstances where they don't get to see people. So our role is to, is to combat their social isolation, as, as we'll have 
today uh, uh, in one of the panels. Mental health uh, is, you know, it's, it's talked about, it's acknowledged now, but for the Irish community, mental health has been a, a difficulty for a long time. Funding for uh, Irish organisations wanting to support our community, as I've said, with the, the worry about Brexit, we're finding it harder and harder to access funding through charitable trusts, through statutory uh, um, uh, routes. And so um, the, the worry is for many Irish organisations is whether they'll be there in, in four or five years' time. We've also got issues around diversity. Um, as has been recognised today, the Irish community is not a homogenous community. Um, we have uh, things like, um, uh, you know, we've got the LGBT communities, mixed race Irish, people with a shared heritage. Um, you know, we've got the, the Twitter, uh, um, the recent Twitter feed, which is We Are Irish, showing the diversity across the Irish community. And that will both be both in Ireland and in Britain, in the Irish community in Britain. Volunteerism. Um, you know, many of our organisations rely on, on heavily on volunteers, but a lot of the, our Irish uh, volunteers are getting older themselves and maybe are in need of support. So it's how we get the younger Irish community to come to us and support us with their volunteering. We have shared histories with other uh, migrant groups within Britain, uh, and I think that's something to be exploited. Uh, we're working with a, uh, a group called the Black Health Initiative in Leeds around, they, they work with the uh, African Caribbean community and we're, we're doing some joint work about developing uh, responses to dementia. Uh, for uh, when, when I listen to stories from uh, their community, they're very similar to stories from our community. Uh, we've got uh, issues for travellers, uh, the people from the travelling community, for prisoners, for survivors of uh, abuse from the uh, institutions. Government changes are massive, um, not only with Brexit, we've got internal uh, uh, benefits changes, and for many of the Irish community, they feel lost within a system. And it's our job as Irish organisations to support them through those systems changes and make sure that they... Uh, they get the support they need. I think it's also important to recognise that for many Irish people, uh, especially people coming over to Britain, their traditional uh, roots into the Irish community are, are going. Uh, our younger Irish people don't come and access the churches or Irish centres anymore. Their, their roots into the community are very different. So we need to be thinking more, how do we get uh, younger Irish people uh, to support our organisations and the community in general. We need to be um, looking more towards Irish businesses and the business community, as Minister McHugh was saying today about the, the event tonight. Many of us, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a social work background, I'm not a business person, I find it hard to talk to business people because I don't know what they want to say. What I want to say to them is, I need your support to help our organisation. But, um, you know, we need, as, as Minister McHugh again was saying, you know, just keep talking. I think one day, hopefully, I'll start to be able to give the message that connects with somebody that, that then starts to support because... We've got, to do, we've got to support our community as a wider community. It's all of our responsibilities. 
the, the mark of a great society is how it looks after its vulnerable. And with the Irish community, I think we do that so well, but we could do it better. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ant, for that um, look at the changing profile of the Irish community in Britain and their changing needs and, and, and the emerging needs that we, that we very much want to get to the heart of in this, in this discussion. So our final speaker uh, from a very different Irish community is Colette Shannon. Colette is the head of communications at Spinney's, which is one of the largest and success most successful food supermarkets in the UAE. She moved to the UAE in 2008, and before that she had been a trade marketing specialist for Board BIA, which is the Irish semi-state organisation which promotes Irish food and uh, agricultural exports. So she's a very active member of the Irish Business Network in Dubai, and she created the Taste of Ireland Green Box competition, which is an, another one of those ideas that we could perhaps spread around the world a little bit more. It saw 12 of the UAE's most prestigious restaurant brands take part in a cooking competition, promoting the very best of Irish ingredients, as well as building that, those Irish-UAE relations. So, Colette. Good morning to you all, um, and uh, Minister and friends of the Global Irish. Um, Dubai, 9 million residents, 200 nationalities, the world's biggest shopping mall, the world's tallest hotel, the first Minister of Happiness, um, and all year round sunshine. And as a Mayo girl, that is very welcome. So it's no wonder I call it home and where my two children were born. Um, it is just one of those very exciting places. Um, and I suppose a little bit of that glamour is, uh, is very uh, alluring. Um, and it has made... Um, home for uh, the largest resident Irish community in the Gulf, with 8,000 registered officially. Now, we do believe that the number is significantly higher than that. Um, those are the ones that are actually recorded, but we believe there's a lot of non-registered uh, uh, visa uh, residents there, and they do what we call border runs. Uh, so I suppose in some ways they're, they're the, the new undocumented, um, and they exit the country every 30 days. Um, but they could be doing business out of Dublin or out of Ireland um, and coming back and forth and running their business there, um, but they're not officially registered. We do know, however, that uh, the embassy in Abu Dhabi, uh, in terms of the number of passports issued last year, was double that in 2011. So definitely the numbers are growing. Um, it is, you know, the, the country is, is buzzing, it's very young, it's dynamic. But I think with that comes a lot of loneliness as well, um, um, because it is so flash, because it's a little bit false in, in many ways, it puts a lot of pressure on people to, to be better. And I, I suppose in terms of the honesty of really what you're achieving, um, it, it's hard, and it's hard for a lot of people. Um, but the 8,000 registered, and I, I'd say well over 10,000, maybe closer to 12,000 um, Irish people that are there, um, and very happy to have Nolene sitting down there who's been a much longer resident than I have um, in Abu Dhabi. Um, they're very well respected and very well connected. I think that's part of our natural networking that the, the Minister referred to earlier. Um, and we're doing our bit in terms of building, bringing the communities together. There are different clubs and societies um, in, in Dubai and in the wider region. 
Uh, the Dubai Irish Society uh, was set up uh, over 40 years ago. Please bear in mind that the country itself is only 45 years old. Um, so, you know, it just goes to show how long we've been out and how long we've been travelling the world. The Dubai Celts, as we know, 1996, uh, uh, where the, the minister himself was part of the, the, the founding group for there. Um, and they play uh, both men and women um, very regularly on a weekly basis, obviously, their training. And then the um, uh, Irish Business Network, which is one that I'm most active in, as I mentioned, full-time job uh, and two small children, so you have to manage your time. So the business network suits me and, uh, and it, it suits uh, my expertise in terms of being able to add some value to that. Um, all of the networks have open dialogue and obviously they're similar in Abu Dhabi and uh, Bahrain and Qatar and across the region. And it's about encouraging us all to work together you know, UAE itself is such a small country. It, it's, you know, it, it's sad in some ways that we have separate groups for all of them, but there is very much an open dialogue. Um, having been a member of the business network since it started, um, we felt that we have monthly meetings and we have morning meetings because. You know, the working days itself are very long, um, so we generally start about 7.30. And we're very lucky that the ambassador, um, Pat Hennessy, attends every one of those breakfast meetings. He, he, it's, it's very important um, to have that space there for us to all connect with. And it's an opportunity for Irish businesses looking to do work in, in the UAE to come and do an elevator pitch. It's also good for those of us that are working in our industries to, to also talk about what we're doing and to open up the network for the new people coming in because it's such a popular place now uh, for young people to go to. Uh, Alma referred to the Green Box competition. Uh, I have a background in food. I'm a farmer's daughter. Uh, I love food. I eat a lot of it, as you can tell. Um, and it was for me, working in a supermarket, working in the food industry, uh, was how do I raise the profile of Irish food? Because I'm extremely passionate about Irish and particular Irish food. So we started with this green box competition just to get people excited. Um, and, you know, to walk into a, a hall in one of the most beautiful hotel, the Ibn Battuta, which is almost like a cathedral, and we had 12 of the top restaurants, each and every one of the, in the alcoves of each one, the Burj Al Arab, the Zabil Zarai, all of those really top brands, all working with Irish food. And then the winning thing was to come back to Ireland and to actually go and meet the growers and the producers and the farmers and visit Ireland. And that is a memory that will stay with them for a very long time. But it gave us a hope from a media perspective to really start talking about Ireland and putting us on the map in, in such a market. I'm married to a Scotsman, um, but both of my children have Irish passports. I'm much more organised than he is, and I got in there first. And I do hope to retire to Mayo. We have a house uh, there, and I'd like to, to return there someday. I'm not sure how I'll cope with the rain. Um, so returning to Ireland is a choice for me. Um, EU passport holder, I can go anywhere, really. And, you know, in terms of uh, my pension is, is, is uh, offshore, so, you know, I can draw it down for wherever I am. However, staying in the UAE is not a choice after retirement um, because you need to have a visa. Um, and that's something, you know, as more and more people are moving out there, it's to consider coming back. You know, the age of retirement is 60. So, you know, what happens us at the age of 60? Where, where are we going to go to? What's attracting us back to Ireland um, as opposed to any place else? And it's something to be mindful of people moving out to the UAE as well, is that all non-UAE uh, citizens must have a visa and to live um, there. Um, and you must have a resident visa and you must have a working visa. Um, if you want to work there. 
And, you know, that's, that's important. You know, it's relatively easy to do that. Uh, there is cost involved if you want to put your own uh, visa and set up in a free zone. Um, but it's also important to note that you must have a marriage certificate if you're going to live together as a couple. Um, you must have an alcohol license if you're going to drink alcohol. And it's the same as having a driver's license here. You know, Lena and I had a quick chat earlier. Um, it's just that respect as well and, and not to abuse it because it's such, a, a, I suppose, in many ways a liberal and a relaxed um, country we kind of forget, but those, that's the law, um, and it's the same way here. And you know, when you see the headlines, um, particularly in the, in the British tabloids of you know people getting arrested for doing various things, you get arrested anywhere in the world if you did those kind of things. So you know, it, it, it's it's important to remember that. Um, so my advice to any new people looking to move out to the UAE is to do your homework um, and to really understand uh, the, the do's and don'ts and don't be fooled by the seven-star hotels and the, and the free-flowing champagne brunches that we have on a Friday. We don't have them every week. Um, they are available every week, but we don't attend them every week. The streets are not paved with gold. Um, and the, the basic working week uh, is 50 hours. You know, so you, you work hard, and yes, you will get um, rewarded as well, but also the types of jobs. Um, uh, last week, uh, we have a, a, a Facebook page, the Dubai Irish Exchange, and somebody posted on that. Um, she and her husband wanted to move out, and he was a, a digger driver and wanted to know uh, what kind of a salary he would get. And, you know, it brought us, in some ways a smile to my face, and, and, you know, and also a certain amount of sadness. Digger drivers in the UAE spend about 60 hours a week in, in heat, maybe it goes up to 50, 50 degrees in the summer, and I probably, I'd say the average wage, you know, in my beach currently is a couple of hundred euros a month, and, you know, it's not something that uh, most Irish people would be willing to move back to the UAE for, so just, you know, to, to be realistic, you are limited in some of the jobs that you can get, um, and it's never been so easy to travel um, back and forth, and to really check it out before you go. There's a lot of uh, teachers uh, moving out, and they're very, very well respected in the, in the schools there, and many of them sign limited contracts before they head out, and in the fine print of those limited contracts states that you must stay for at least two years. So if a company is investing in, in your visa, um, they expect a certain amount of loyalty in return, and breaking a contract is, you know... It has consequences, and within that, you know, in terms of being able to get another job anywhere else, you know, moving out, people sign up and say, oh, I'm going to go to, to Russell Kema. They don't know where Russell Kema is. They, they, they think it's Dubai, and it, it's, you know, it's not. And they say, oh, shall I just change jobs? It's not that easy to do that because the company has invested um, in, in it for you. So it also affects our reputation as, as Irish employees there. Um, so I think it's important to do that. And I mentioned the Dubai Irish Exchange. Um, there's about 3,000 members on that. Um, and so it's a great place to start and ask for the advice. Um, you know, things like rent. Um, when I moved out there 10 years ago, uh, and it's similar to Dave, but you have to pay a year's rent up front. And I remember thinking, you know, we moved into what we call a villa. It's a two-bedroom house. It's just a, a fancy term for, for a house. And, you know, it's the best part of €20,000. And I remember saying to, uh, to my husband, because if I had 20,000 euros, do you think I'd be moving to the UAE? I'd be, you know, I'd be delighted. And so you immediately have to get into a bank loan um, to get that. And, you know, it kind of ties you in. So these things you have to be mindful of. Yes, a lot of jobs will help you out with, uh, with your, your rent, and they would deduct it then on a monthly basis from you. Um, but it, that's not everybody. And I guess salaries are getting a lot more competitive now. There's, you know, there, there's not all of those glory jobs anymore. 
the other thing, I suppose, living in the Middle East is culture. Um, and although I think there's a lot of the values that we share um, are very similar with, with the Arabs and the importance of family um, in particular, but we're coming into Ramadan, um, which is a month of fasting and reflection. It, it, the date is selected on the, on the sighting of the moon, but it's expected to start around the 25th, 26th of May. Um, and because the UAE is, is relaxed, it's still a Muslim country, and the culture and the traditions must be respected. Um, and those are things like no eating and drinking in public before sunset, um, no loud music, there's no live music at all during the month. Um, Arabic is the national language, um, however, English is accepted. And I suppose that brings me down to schooling concerns um, for me as a mother of two and what happens to me when I return home and what happens to all of us um, when we return home. Uh, the lack of Irish being taught in the, in, in the schools. There are lots of people who do that on a voluntary basis. There's Irish dancing classes as well uh, and the children are signed up to do that. But also coming back as a university graduate, as an overseas, being classed as an overseas student, although holding an Irish passport and coming back a couple of times a year on holidays and obviously spending here and maybe having a house, we're treated the same as any other overseas, which opens up different countries for us to go. But how do we track back the young Irish diaspora? I'm very proud to fly the flag for Ireland in, in the UAE, and I believe we all have a job to play as ambassadors in whatever way. I think this just starting in terms of what we can do. Food is very much on, on the radar, but I think in terms of clothes, uh, there's all sorts of arts, crafts, all of that that could really be put on, on the shelves in the UAE. And I think we need to work together and, and strengthen our ties. And you know, I've learned so much already in, in the 24 hours that I've been home. Um, and I really look forward to, to challenging and contributing to, to policy making in the future to really bring Irish people home that want to come home. Um, and also to uh, ensure that we continue to raise the profile of Irish people and make them welcome in the four corners of, of the world. So I look forward to your questions and sharing any further insights. So thank you very much. I, I hope these microphones should be working now. And just to recap on where we are time-wise, um, we had initially hoped to finish this discussion in about six minutes time. So what I'm going to do is arbitrarily extend it to 25 past 11. So that leaves, will still leave everybody a good 20 minutes for networking and conversation. But I think the having heard those three really differing perspectives on what it's like to be a member of an Irish community in a different, in a different region, I'd like to take maybe some questions from the floor um, that I can then Put to, the, put to the panel for further discussion. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me in listening to you is about those differing generations of Irish people. So whether you're kind of 10 years deep, which makes you a, a lifer in Dubai, or whether you're several generations deep and how we connect with them in the US and how we bring the younger and the older communities in Britain together. That, that's, a, that's a theme that I think came across very strongly in your, in your three contributions and maybe if there are any questions from the floor on that evolving Irish community angle who'd like to um, I think I see Sarah Owen from Crosscare so Sarah um, there's a roving mic on its way to you 
Thank you very much, and thank you to all the speakers. That was a fascinating um, discussion, particularly Colette. Very interested to hear about the evolving communities in Dubai. Um, I'm Sarah Owen. I work for Crosscare Migrant Project. The Minister, thank you again for writing the forward for our new report, Home for Good. You may have all got a copy. There's copies upstairs at the reception. We launched it yesterday. Um, you mentioned about returning to Ireland. This report is about the experiences of 400 Irish people who have come home in the last two years, and it details the challenges that they've faced. It also talks about the benefits of coming home and why people are coming home. And 83% of the 400 who responded to our survey said that family was the main motivation for coming home. They're coming home to be close to their family, close to their friends, to have a stronger sense of being Irish and reconnecting with their roots. Um, challenges faced, however, and the Minister has mentioned this, insurance, um, difficulty finding employment in some cases, delays when it comes to finding accommodation, particularly in Dublin. I mean, these are challenges that affect a lot of people um, who haven't emigrated, but I think it's important to state that if people are coming back to Ireland um, and they want to do so, they mustn't be disadvantaged by the fact that they have lived abroad. Um, so I'd be interested in hearing from the panellists, from yourself, Ted, and Ant as well, just about um, what we're hearing from groups, particularly in the States and in Australia, uh, but also further afield um, and in the UK, about people considering a move home um, and whether you have any thoughts on that. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much, Sarah. Are there any other questions from the audience just on the evolving communities question? I think I see. Is that, is that Jerry? Yeah. Malumbi? What I liked was a variation of um, stories from different parts of the world. The experience of being Irish abroad depends on where you are. The American, the contrast from America and, and uh, Dubai. Um, but, so I can only speak my own experience of being Irish in Britain. And I think we should develop more, and it is happening. But Ant was talking about um, involving the younger people and getting more expertise into the committees and volunteers is to work and build on our connections with the GAA which is so big in Britain and throughout the world. Um, musicians like Chris or, you know, and others who come to Britain, you know, they could get involved in reminiscence. And so GEA, using our culture to engage with younger people to help organisations like Ant. Thank you. Two small questions. Um, my name is Sally Mulready. I'm, uh, I work in... Sorry, I've forgotten what I am. <laughs> I'm the director of the Irish Elderly Advice Network. Um, I'm also um, appointed to uh, the Council of State by the President of Ireland. Um, I just want to ask two questions. Um, one, is the influence, the political influence that uh, the Irish have enjoyed in America for so long, um, is it under Trump declining? Is it going to decline? What is the, what is the political influence now? Is it um, in crisis? And my question to Anton is, is pretty similar, brilliant speech, Anton, um, is the lack of political influence that we have in the UK in terms of the Irish community. I mean, we've, 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 we're in there uh, in Westminster, but not in any way um, as connected as they have been in America. And is there a lesson for us to learn that? Um, so, you know, should we be concerned? I mean, Theresa, Ray, Theresa May's utterances in terms of the Irish community have not given uh, any real indication that the special status that Irish people had in the UK w will remain. She hasn't said it's going, but she hasn't said it will remain either. 
So they're my questions. Thank you very much, Sally. I think we'll, I'll come back to the audience once I've given the panel the opportunity to respond to those three very interesting questions. So, you know, looking at the evidence base for returning to Ireland, is there, what, what should be happening abroad, what should be happening at home? Just if you can bring your insights from your local experience, then the GAA and culture, is that the cross-generational reach? Does that hold true, though, in, say, for example, in, in the US? Is, is that reach the same there? And then um, Sally's question on political influence. So who, who'd like to go first? Can I? Well, those are all great questions. <coughs> Could engage us for some time. Uh, I think in all humility, I have to say that there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to the Irish diaspora, and uh, each of us will have to have a, a different focus. The great thing about today and what the uh, minister and the, his team have done is bring us all together so we can share best practices. But having said that, I think the Irish, what we're doing in Irish America is, is much different. For example, one of the questions we asked was likelihood to retire to Ireland of respondents, and the answer was very likely 4%, fairly likely 13%, and then fairly, the rest were fairly unlikely or very unlikely. So when people go to... Uh, in the past, when, when Irish people went to America, they, they went to stay. Uh, people who went to Britain, you know, the old cliche is they weren't sure if they were staying um, and they didn't have to make the same commitment. What's different today is that the Irish who go to America, they, not the ones who went in the 80s, but they, the new, new Irish are the sojourner Irish, as they're called. And they're going for experience, as the speaker said earlier, and going for experience all over the world. So that's, there is no replacement generation. And to our speaker over here, that's a problem in terms of the power of the Irish-American community in elections. And um, you asked the question, if I could bridge to that now, where's the power under Trump? Well, actually, what that demonstrated to the Democrats is they can't take the Irish vote for granted. Um, Hillary Clinton had the opportunity to go and speak at Notre Dame, turned it down, uh, thinking she didn't have to worry about that. Big mistake. Um, you had the people who were the Reagan Democrats, Republicans, uh, who are a lot of Irish. Now you have the Trump Democrats. So it's a 50-50 vote, I think, right now, and particularly a lot of working-class Irish-Americans voted for Trump. So we're in this swing position, and uh, even when the Taoiseach was in the White House, and we do own the White House in St. Patrick's Day, no other country has that access. When the Taoiseach was in the White House, President Trump had to stand on the side and take his little bit of a ribbing from the Taoiseach without getting too upset, because he knew that there were a lot of Irish-Americans out there who respected the Taoiseach. He didn't have to pay the same respect to the Chancellor of Germany and uh, didn't shake her hand or whatever in, in, in the White House. But, uh, so it demonstrates the power the Irish have. And that's something is really important economically, politically, and culturally. And we can't neglect that. But if we, if we don't work it hard, and you know, everybody's got their own patch to argue here in Dubai and Leeds and so forth, but if we don't look out for this, this will fade and will be like the Italian-Americans where there'll be some nostalgia on St. Patrick's Day and that will be it. So we have to work really hard at ensuring that the next generation of people in third, fourth and fifth generation, young people, are engaged. And I haven't really answered the question how you engage the young people, but obviously culture and music and uh, movies and online stuff are ways to do it. But sorry, that was a long answer. Thank you. Colette, would you like to... I'm supposed to talk about engagement uh, for the Easter Rising um, uh, commemorations. There was 
the Madnat and Jumeirah Theatre was full of Irish people um, and it was such a moving thing and you kind of my husband went with me and he was like my goodness you know t for the Irish to be able to bring this together in the UAE is, is unbelievable um, but it really brought people together and I do think that the GAA are, are, are another great tool to get the young people in through the, the business sector we have a, a young uh, entrepreneur group as well and we're trying to bring them in but it, it, it is very difficult because you know in terms of we're so connected but not connected at the same time you know it's all on social media it's all it's all there and you know, we, we think we're talking all the time but actually we're really not we're not sitting around and this is a forum like this is fantastic to be able to sit sit down and I think there's a lot more we can do particularly um, through more being just be more mindful of of what people are going through particularly when they look to go home you know how the stresses, and I think living um, in the UAE has a certain amount of stress as well because of the uncertainty, um, and, and that brings on a lot of where do you go, who do you talk to, and because it's such a, a young country, so diverse, 200 different nationalities in a very small mass of land, um, uh, it's difficult, but I think getting the young people involved and active is, is hugely important. And it's good to hear that the 2016 celebrations worked well in the oh, space that they, that they gathered people together. And absolutely. I think, Ant, that was your experience in, sorry, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but how did, how did, that, how did that engagement work in, in your experience in, in the UK? Um, well, uh, I suppose, uh, well, I, I, I was thinking that um, uh, Leeds Irish Health and Homes and, and a lot of uh, charities now are moving towards what is called asset-based community development. Uh, which is that uh, we, hold, we hold the solutions to, to difficulties within our communities and it's about sharing that responsibility and looking, you know, looking to who in our community we can use as assets so around engaging with mm. businesses, professionals actually you know, how can you help people in your community so that you, you've got a, a, an almost a, a constant Revolvement and involvement of people who want to develop the community and, the, and responses to the community. So mm -hmm. that's where we're working towards. And, and I think, you know, part of, of the Global Irish uh, Conference, actually, what that highlights to me is how effective communities are throughout mm -hmm. the world, Irish communities are throughout the world, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly one of the themes that will be picked up in the workshops later, yes. later in, the, in, the, in the forum. Yes. So I, I was, sorry. Go uh, ahead. Um, I was just, in, in terms of moving home, I think, you know, the, the experiences that, that we've learned more about is that need for information, um, you know, and, and for people to come back with a realistic expectation of what life is going to be like in Ireland and having that information to hand. You know, I remember when Safe Home was first developed and lots of people in Leeds were saying, yes, I, I, want, to, I want to sign up to it. But actually, the reality for people landing here was very different. And I think that organisations like Safe Home and Migrant Crosscare are, are invaluable at being able to tell the, the realistic story uh, for people who want to make that choice. Obviously, for many people coming back, I know my own family who've, who've come back, it's been a very good experience, mm. but, you know, employment, health, all of those things need to be thought about. And, 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 that, goes, and that goes equal, as I, I know this is the point that Colette was making about before going somewhere, making sure that you have yeah. that, that information yeah. as, far, as far as you can. Now, another thing, just in terms of needs that I picked up across the, the three, I'm trying to find common threads between the three of you, was the... Um, 
That, the question of loneliness, of engagement with, with others and how important that is to communities in, in all, all of your locations. And I was wondering if I could take maybe two quick questions from the audience on the theme of needs and whether those needs are changing as well as the Irish communities changing. That gentleman over there. Uh, good morning. Austin Cameron, Irish Radio Canada. On the question of needs and changing, one of the things I, I wanted to reflect on and that you would think about was that in the past, many of the Irish community came from rural Ireland mm. and arrived into what were Irish centres, be it New York, be it Chicago, Boston. And we always talk of that, or Toronto or Vancouver. But with the change, many of the Irish are now going to Dubai or to Silicon Valley. Yeah. And they are a different um, breed in many ways. So consequently, the concept of coming back, particularly to consider coming back to rural Ireland, considering so many from rural Ireland have moved to Dublin, um, that whole dynamic has changed. Would you have any comment on any aspect of that? Dennis J. Buckley, Irish and Europe Association, Brussels headquarters. I take into note the concerns of our American experiences where they feel the, the, the Irish presence in America has been diluted. And here is a situation of 40 million Irish out of a population of 320 million. We in Europe have 250,000 Irish passport holders out of a population of 700 million. And here is our challenge is that we can create Irish communities, we aim to create Irish cultural communities because that is the only way we can help Irish on the ground with the support of the locals and other cultures to make events um, viable and support Irish in these to fin down communities. My question is, how can we adapt the experiences of America with their experience in growing since the days of the Irish American culture Institute, all this ground speaking work that was done and great work and translate that into Europe to meet the challenges not only of Brexit but to assist the Irish on the ground to grow the relationship? Thank you very much. So I'll um, turn to the panel on, on those two again. So, you know, what, that, that, that question about adaptation and whether the, 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 cultural, the, the cultural experiences and the, and the idea of promoting culture can be that bridge for us in terms of adapting to some of the political challenges that we're facing. And then the question of where that urban-rural divide and, and how we can encourage... This is, a, this, is a, this is a return question, I think, about how to encourage people to come more home... Uh, to, into, into rural communities as well as into urban ones. So, and which, what do you have insights um, on, the, on the cultural side? Maybe? I suppose that the, the culture, from, from being a second generation Irish person living in Britain, um, the <laughs> difficulty is that we don't really have a, an identity. Like, like in America, you're Irish American. Uh, in, in Britain, uh, I'm, you know, regard myself as Irish in Britain. When I come to Ireland, I'm English. Uh, and so that sense of identity and who you are and, and what that means, and obviously for, for like, children, third, fourth generation, you know, that, that and, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure in terms of Dubai, and, and it's probably not had that, that length of time, but how people uh, hold on to their Irishness but are part of the country that they live in as well and proudly can be both um, whereas sort of my, me growing up I didn't have a choice I was Irish and, and that was it you know um, so yeah so it's a strange one 
Colette. Just following on from what Andrew was saying, in, you know, in the UAE, I suppose it, it's you, you have to make a concerted effort to, um, to integrate, I suppose, in many ways and to experience the, the local culture. And I think, you know, part of the, the worry might be that we spend too much time with, with ourselves. Um, and, I, you know, in terms of the Irish or the British or the, the Europeans spending time t together and not actually being part uh, of the community and contributing where, where you, you're living. Um, and I mentioned the, with the, the first uh, State Minister for Happiness and, you know, that is the understanding there of the fact that there's a very small uh, population of, of, of nationals and, and then a lot of uh, people who would have built the country and they're, they're acknowledged that, um, living there and finding it difficult and what happiness means in terms of whether that's down to your income, your, your well-being, your, you know, your, your physical health and, and all of that and really working together. And I think... Um, as a, a do before you, you come to Dubai and, and a do while you're there living in, in, in the UAE is to get involved with the local culture. Be very proud of where you come from, but get involved in the local culture as well. Um, uh, I, Dubai is my second state. I was three years in London. I never thought I would leave London. I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, but, you know, and I was very active in the Irish community there, um, part of the Mayor of London St. Patrick's Festival, and doing a, a farmer's market in Covent Garden was, uh, is still one of the highlights of my career. Um, but, you know, I think, and I, I regret after 10 years living in the UAE that I don't speak Arabic. Um, my husband is now doing uh, uh, classes and he's, he's, he's fairly good at it. But, you know, I think it's important as an Irish community, if we want to build the ties with, uh, with the local region that we're living in, that maybe as well as offering Irish classes, which I think would be really important, and right now they're on a voluntary basis, but also to encourage the Irish people to start immersing themselves and doing Arabic lessons for the Irish as well. I think it would be really, really good, and I think it would be a good standing for the future people coming to, to the region, because I think at a very high level, and the Irish are so well known, and we're very lucky to have people in very, very high places, and we mentioned Seamus Byrne earlier, uh, Colin McLaughlin, or Lawless, you know, the, these names are so well known um, in, in the UAE and, um, but I think we should really respect where we, where we are as well. Thank you and just building on what the <laughs> building on what Colette and Ant have just said um, we should be branding not just Ireland but also branding the hyphenated Irish abroad so to the question about Europe <clears throat> an Irish European uh, like an Irish American should stand for certain values values of inclusion, of social justice, of collegiality, the things we stand for in Ireland. Um, you know, the, I don't you've seen the Brand Ireland TV documentary. I watched it at 2 o'clock in the morning flying over on Aer Lingus. Um, it captured the attraction of Irishness as a choice because it's, it's chic and it's sexy and it's, uh, it's vibrant and it's young. And uh, that's, you know, talking about getting young people engaged, it's Bono, it's River Dance, it's Irish Castles, it's a mist of time. So we've got something great going on here in Ireland. And uh, we need to brand that, whether it's Irish Australian, Irish European, Irish Dubai, uh, Irish American. And uh, let's, let's take that on the road and show people that when it comes to refugees from Syria or wherever in the United States, when we had the fantastic session, 2,000 people showed up in a cathedral in New York on St. Patrick's Day night for the Irish stand. It wasn't a, an anti-Trump thing. It was an affirmation of being Irish, that we are for inclusion. 
people who had never come together before. I was standing in line for about half an hour waiting to go in. I was talking to people who had never done an event like this before and just wanted to come out. And they had, you know, they were second or third or fourth generation. And it was really, it was, it was inspiring. Thank you very much. And I'm very sorry to say that we have actually come to the end now of our time for this discussion. We're now going to go away and own our hyphens, Ted. Yes. Own all of those Irish, Irish hyphen everywhere else that we are. But thank you so much for your engagement in this session and thanks to our